Okay, um, Pastor sent to me your choices for the topics, and I got to say, um, this one is a toughie. So, uh, if you feel lost, don't feel bad, <laughs> because it's a very, very deep subject, and we're, and we're still digging deeper and deeper. So looking beyond the code, digging deeper into DNA. So there you see the, uh, the railroad steam shovel there, digging into the chromosomes. So this is the outline. And first we're going to start with the origin and nature of information. Again, just a little bit of review of the other one to relate how it relates to DNA. So he says, making them out of mud was easy. The hard part was writing the DNA code. And this is, you're going to see how true this is. So remember the four aspects, components, code, meaning, expected action, and intended purposes. And that time plus chance does not equal information. And that information cannot originate from matter by random chance processes and that we record it in matter, but matter does not give rise to information. And it doesn't matter how it's recorded. In this case, we're talking about DNA being the mechanism by which the information is recorded. So here again is that structural representation of the four different kinds of molecules that are the code. You see in small print in yellow the names cytosine, thymine, guanine and adenine, and we refer them in shorthand as C, T, G, and A. Uh, C, T, G, and A. And that the information is independent of its environment, but we use matter to store the information. But the information itself is non-material. Information is non-material. Okay, we talked about this. Information can only originate from an intelligent sender. And then that business of irreducible complexity, what came first? The information, the RNA, the DNA, the proteins, the ribosomes, all these things, you know, that's, they all have to be there at the same time. The evolutionists have a dilemma because they don't know how to figure out how this stuff could happen in bits and pieces because it couldn't have. And I use this picture here of the agave with these multiple spines representing, uh, a sense, different horns. Because the word dilemma means being on two horns at the same time. You're stuck on two horns and you can't get off of either one. Okay, and that's the position that they're in. And it's because of this business of the irreducible complexity. We talked about the mousetrap and this business of having to have all of the stuff there at the same time. So now we're going to dig deeper into what this stuff is and how it works. So how DNA works. And he said, I said, take us to your leader. That's who? Forget your leader. Where's your information systems manager? All right, so here we go. All right, so DNA is that linear molecule. It's very long, about 3.1 billion base pairs. Molecules put together. It's incredibly long. 
all right? So nucleotide is the term for these individual bases, these molecules. And so the transition from DNA, where the information is stored in the nucleus, to messenger RNA, which carries the information from the nucleus into the cell, the rest of the cell where the machinery is located. So this is called transcription, which literally means writing across, writing across. So writing across from the DNA, from the blueprint, to the messenger RNA, which would be the set of instructions telling them what to build. All right? That's transcription. And as I said, messenger RNA is only one of over 30 types of RNA. Then that information has to be translated into the language of the amino acids to make the proteins. The proteins are the machines that do the work. Proteins are machines that do the work. So translation then is going from that four-letter code in the messenger RNA to the 20-letter code of the proteins. Translation. And that occurs in the rest of the cell, the cytoplasm of the cell, where the machinery is located outside of the nucleus. Another type of RNA, called ribosomal RNA, is what makes up the factory, along with a whole bunch of proteins. So a whole bunch of proteins and the ribosomal RNA makes up the ribosomes, and the ribosomes are the factories that, where the translation occurs to actually make the protein molecules. Are we there? Yes, no. If, I, if it's a no, shake your head no so I can repeat it for you. Okay, I see a hand going like this. All right. All right. Okay, so you've got to understand this or you'll be lost the whole rest of the talk. All right. So the information is stored in the nucleus in the DNA. It's the blueprint. Transcription is writing across, taking the information out of storage, putting it into a mobile form that can go out into the rest of the cell where the factories are located. The messenger RNA is that mobile information. It goes out to where the factory is located. The factory, called the ribosome, is made up by a different kind of RNA called ribosomal RNA and proteins together make up the factory, the ribosome. That's where translation occurs, taking the information from the messenger RNA and translating it into, through a code, the sequence of amino acids that make up the specific proteins. Are we there now? Okay. This is called the central dogma of evolutionists, the central dogma. And I like that term dogma because it's a belief, because what really goes on is far more complex than this. This is the part that they teach in most of the biology courses. Now what I'm going to give you is what they mostly don't know. And I'm only doing this because you asked for it. 
So I shook my head when I got this list. <laughs> and I said, okay, they asked for it. So here you go. So you can't blame me for this one. It's yourselves. Okay, so how does DNA work? Well, it was figured out, it was determined that only 1.5% of all of the DNA total is responsible for the production of protein. Only 1.5%. So the evolutionists, in their ignorance and arrogance, assumed that the other 98.5% of the DNA was junk DNA. And that's what they called it. Okay? Gigantic assumption, gigantic mistake. So what does the rest of that DNA do? Well, the DNA has three functions. The first one we already told you about, to store and preserve the genetic information. That's the one and a half percent. The rest of it is about regulation. When, where, how much, in what order for these things to happen. And for organizational purposes to keep the DNA itself organized. So think of DNA as a library. The one and a half percent are the words and paragraphs in the page that tell how to make the proteins. But the rest of the DNA is the page itself, the binding of the book, the cover of the book, the shelf, the floor, the ceiling, the walls, to keep it all organized. So the DNA itself keeps things organized, regulates protein production, as well as giving the information on what to do. Okay. All right. I hesitate to go to this next slide because it's, it's deep. You're digging deep. All right. You see here at the top, Read where it says enhancers in green? Okay. So there, there it says ta-ta, and when it's not some Brit saying ta-ta, you know, goodbye. It's the T and the A, the thymine and the adenosine, the, the four, two of the four bases. That's an area rich in the, in the thymine and adenine. That is a place where it says for the proteins to come to start assembling this huge complex the actual information for a particular protein is this part right here. That's, the, that's where the coded information is for a particular protein. All right, so a distant part of the same DNA molecule has what are called enhancers. All right, so there you see the location where the enhancers are. So upon those enhancers, protein molecules called activators, different activators coming from other molecular pathways in the cell, attach to those enhancers. Um, by the way, I'm going to give you the copies of these PowerPoints so you don't have to write everything. Okay? I, I will put them on a uh, 
Google Drive, send you the link, and then you can download them. Or you can take them from my jump drive into your computer. Co-activators also are involved at this particular site, these locations. These are other protein molecules. This is how the DNA is organized. It's wrapped around proteins called histones. Those are like hair curlers that the DNA wraps around. This is organizational stuff. All right, so these activators and co-activators come along They tell the DNA wrapped around the histones to loosen up so they can get access to the DNA. So it, it's less tightly wrapped so it can be accessed. Then mediators, other proteins come along and activators showing that there is another level of complexity here to this happening. And notice that these activators and enhancers come from a different segment of DNA yet. Okay, then comes along the transcription factor 2D, which is the basis for other transcription factors to come along. Transcription factors 2, A, B, E, F, and H. I scared one away already. <laughs> All right. So you're getting an idea of how complex this is. And then finally, this complex of about 30 molecules called polymerase 2, polymerase 2, is the part that actually does the work of copying the DNA. But all this other stuff has to happen first. And like I say, that polymerase too is about 30 molecules put together. Are we having fun yet? And then it goes along the section there where the actual information for the making of the protein occurs. And, and in case, a certain type of polymerase makes the messenger RNA. This should blow your mind. <laughs> bit by bit. This took a lot of time for a lot of people to figure this out. See, there's two things that constantly re-amaze me almost daily. First one is how God did it. Second one is how people figure it out. Yeah. Okay. So that's how DNA gets copied or how messenger RNA gets made. Uh, they're two different systems, but I'm just, they're roughly parallel. Two different systems. Okay, now we're told that DNA is 
one dimension, that dogma, right? It's just that single strand of DNA and that the copied information responsible for messenger RNA. Well, no, there's not just one dimension to DNA. There's at least four. And as already happened, Dr. K may be excused. My brain is full. Okay. Okay, the first dimension, as we showed you, is that linear sequence of the bases. They call these bases because they have nitrogen in them and they are basic. Parts of them are basic, meaning not acidic. Okay, so here is the second dimension with those business of the enhancers on a distant part of the same and or additional DNA molecules. But we'll just talk about just the one here. So that's the second dimension, the enhancers. And then the activators. And there's also repressors that say, no, this isn't going to happen. Okay. And then all those other transcription factors that I'm not going to do again here. Okay, co-activators, all this other stuff. The third dimension is the spatial relationships among the chromosomes. Okay. You have 23 pairs of chromosomes, 46 in all, 23 pairs, and certain of them have very short arms, and I'm going to show that to you. So it's the spatial relationship, the interrelationship in three dimensions of parts of the chromosomes. That's the third dimension. Okay, just to show you a bit of the anatomy here, the, the nucleus has a special uh, double membrane surrounding it called an envelope. And there's proteins inside there that are helping to keep things organized. And the nucleolus is a special subsection of the nucleus. Nucleolus is a special subsection of the nucleus. We'll talk about it in a second. Then there are these pores in the envelope that allow things, control things, to enter and leave the nucleus. Raw materials to come in, products to come out. And then outside in the rest of the cell are these ribosomes, the factories. All right, so here is a particular chromosome, and I noticed Notice that it has arms. And acrocentric means high center. In other words, where the arms come together, it's very high. It's at towards an end, but not all the way at the end. And so those are very short arms on top and long arms on the bottom. Five of the pairs of chromosomes have these very short arms. And they have these numbers. And those particular chromosomes have that special three-dimensional relationship where their short arms come together and make that nucleolus. So the short arms of these five chromosomes come together to make that nucleolus you see there in the darkest purple in the center. The fourth dimension is, can anybody guess it? What did I hear? Time. Absolutely correct. Time. Ah. 
You read well. All right. So here are things that change with time. During development from that first cell, the zygote, when the egg and sperm come together, growing to the mature um, fetus, the ready to be born, case of the human. So that's development. Growth is the second thing where things change with time, growth, different amounts of different proteins at different times. Healing, such as this bone fracture, different proteins will be made in the process of healing in different amounts. And then with illness, as opposed to healing of a physical trauma, a medical uh, disease, or change in, for example, climate. You're going to be doing different things, whether you're hot or cold. Also, what you eat affects what's going on. Here's the mention of disease again. The makeup of the microbes in your gut, called the microbiome, in other words, the, the sum total of the viruses, the bacteria, the fungi, and different kinds of one-celled things called archaea. They're similar but different from bacteria. Make up what's called the microbiome. And that has tremendous influence on what goes on in our body. <clears throat> affects very much so the immune system. And also we're learning it affects the brain itself. It's amazing what we're finding out. And another thing that, uh, that changes things is good old exercise. So all of these things affect over time the amount of different proteins in different situations. So here it is. Here's that first dimension again, the sequence of the letters, ACTG. Okay, the business with the enhancers, the second dimension how the chromosomes are fitting together among each other, the third dimension, three-dimensional space, and the fourth one that changes over time with those other things we just talked about. Okay, so these are the four dimensions of DNA. Okay, let's talk about overlapping codes. Okay, well, the common thought in that dogma is there's just one code for the production of a specific protein, determined by the sequence of the bases, these four letters, the A, T, C, and G. And here you see a different color for each letter. All right, so that's the first of the codes. The second code is how the messenger RNA made from the DNA is spliced and diced. The whole messenger RNA molecule isn't used. It is altered, and parts, different parts are put together in different combinations to be able to make a whole bunch of different proteins from the same piece of RNA. And there's different ways in which the slicing and dicing occurs, and we don't need to get into that. So gene splicing, that's the second code for this very same stretch of DNA. 
The third one is, even though it's the same stretch of DNA, it's the two, you know, the two strands together. One protein can be made going on the one strand. At the same time, the other strand, the other opposite direction, a different protein can be made. Can you see how utterly impossible it is for this to have happened by random chance events? Okay, the third, that's the third way of having overlapping codes. The fourth way is starting at different points. Getting different proteins produced. Okay. I'll bet, as we learn more, there may even be additional overlapping codes as we learn more about this stuff. Okay, how does translation occur? How do we get from that four-letter code in the messenger RNA to the 20-letter code for the proteins? Well, it involves the fact that these letters are grouped in triplets. The letters in the messenger RNA are grouped in triplets. This is the fifth code. So you see here that the first two letters of the, those top four are the same. The, the third letter is different. And the bottom two, the first two letters are the same. The third one is different. These all code for the same protein. I'm sorry, same amino acid. They all code for the same amino acid. But the differences at the end determine these different things, such as how fast transcription will occur, writing across from the DNA to the messenger RNA. How fast the translation will occur, going from the messenger RNA to the production of the protein. The amount of the RNA made. And then where the transcription starts in a gene, the writing across. So these last letters determine these four things. Now, in the textbooks, it says that this is called degeneracy of the code. Degeneracy. Because there is lack of specificity because these all specify the same amino acid. But this shows the ignorance and arrogance coming out again. Because these final letters, these final letters actually have an effect on these four items here. Are we there? <laughs> I want tell me if it's this so I can make sure. It's like the nine letter nine digit zip code instead of just the five. Very good analogy. I like that. 
I may steal that. <laughs> how, how can I break down this onto something I can absorb? <laughs> I, in fact, I'm going to steal that. I'm going to put in a zip code map showing that. Thank you. All right. Don't let me forget. Okay. Intelligent design seen in DNA. Today's lesson in Darwinism. Hear no intelligent design, see no intelligent design, speak no intelligent design. They have to pretend not to know to keep up the facade. Have any of you heard of ENCODE? Okay. You all know about the Genome Project, the Human Genome Project, yes? This was the task of finding out the sequence, that primary sequence, that first layer of code, the sequence of the letters in the DNA. That was, that was a project that was done, believe it or not, under budget, ahead of time. Under budget, ahead of time. Why? Because scientists were running it, not politicians. All right. This is the follow-up to the Human Genome Project. ENCODE stands for Encyclopedia, E-N, Encyclopedia, E-N-C, O of D, DNA, E, Elements. Encyclopedia of DNA Elements. In other words, let's find out what this stuff does. That's what this project was all about and is still doing some work on it. So, scientists dumbstruck. Signs of intelligent design in DNA code. Stripped of its scientific language, what the researchers believe. They have found a message hidden in the DNA code of all living organisms that cannot be explained by chance, and which strongly adheres to the principles of mathematics and human language concepts, displaying readily recognizable hallmarks of artificiality. The identity of any designer, whether alien or supernatural, remains unknown to them. The study is groundbreaking in its implications. Whoa. Ho. Oh. Okay. This is what happens when the truth comes out. All right. So, apocryphal science. Captain Eddie's apocryphal science. So here are these aliens going through space, approaching Earth. He pushes the gloop pump. Okay, the gloop is spread out into the atmosphere, rains down upon Earth, life begins, becomes more complex, and then that's what crawls out. 
It's called the unintended consequences theory. Well, I admit, that would explain a lot. All right. Well, that's actually kind of what some people believe, including um, Crick, one of the co-discoverers of the structure of DNA published in 1953. He understood that DNA could not evolve on this planet. So he shifted the source of DNA to somewhere out there and gave it the term panspermia. Panspermia. In other words, aliens brought life here from somewhere else. But that doesn't solve the problem. It only shifts the location of the problem. Still doesn't explain. So this guy has this notebook. Why do evolutionists, secularists, humanists, non-God-believing people reject the idea of there being a creator God but embrace the concept of intelligent design from aliens or other extraterrestrial sources? Great question. Somebody who's thinking. Encode Project writes eulogy for junk DNA. Well, that pretty much captures it, but I took a particular section here, all right, and said, a decade-long project, the Encyclopedia of DNA Elements, has found that 80% of the human genome serves some purpose, biochemically speaking. Ha. What happened to junk DNA? It's dead. So this week, 30 research papers, 30 research papers, including six in Nature, which is and long additional papers published by Science. Nature and Science, British and, and American are the two premier secular science journals. Sound the death knell for the idea that our DNA is mostly littered with useless bases. A decade-long project, the Encyclopedia of DNA Elements, has found that 80% of the human genome serves some purpose. Biochemically speaking, beyond defining proteins, the DNA bases highlighted by ENCODE specify landing spots for proteins that influence gene activity, strands of RNA with myriad roles, or simply places where chemical modifications serve to silence stretches of our chromosomes. Ha. You never hear about this, do you? Amazing. Okay, now it was published nine years ago. The press doesn't talk about this. Well, the press doesn't talk about a lot of things that are real. Fake news. So, in the full genome, 80% of DNA is transcribed. There are roughly 23,000 protein coding genes, 11,224 called pseudogenes. Now, pseudogenes means false genes. And at first they were named that because they said they found that they looked structurally like a gene but didn't make proteins. But we know that these pseudogenes are regulatory hotspots. And then another 18,400 genes for the production of RNA, not protein. 
Why? Because this RNA has function. Okay? They operate in specific cell compartments for regulation. You can't have just information. You've got to know what to do with it. So this is a data gold mine leading to disease cures. So the 288 million cost is the best spent money ever. And here's the problem. All of this was delayed by 25 years because the assumption of junk DNA. All of the stuff that we know now, we could have known 25 years ago and countless lives saved if it wasn't for the arrogance and ignorance of the evolutionists. So, ding dong, junk day, junk DNA is dead. Well, in scripture, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, meaning the womb. Okay, very skillfully wrought. Okay, editing RNA. What in the world is this? Information, what to do with it? Well, okay, here's the fellow inspecting RNA. Going, no, 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 no. That's more like it. I'm going to change this base. We actually have RNA editing occur. We actually have molecules that change the RNA. And so there are differences in that RNA from the RNA that was made by the DNA. Direct, I mean, well, it was all made from DNA originally, but there's been changes. There's been editing going on. For example, changing an A to G. So changing that molecule into that one. And that has an effect on the function of whatever it is a part of. Kind of like changing the settings on your AC unit. Or C to U. Changing that to that. Okay, same idea. Okay, there is a enzyme, well, there are a category of enzymes called deaminases that take a protein, that take nitrogen out, an NH2 group out, and account for about half of these changes. So you can see in both of these examples here that the NH2 group at the top of each molecule is substituted by oxygen, and this alters what happens. But this is not random chance. This is done purposely in response to changes in the molecular environment so that the body can cope with those changes and respond appropriately. Whoa. Okay, so there's those changes. They're not random. They're purposeful. Such uniformity makes us believe that there is a code or guide that mediates these RNA-DNA differences. They are not random events. 
Biological significance of these modifications remains to be determined, but since they are widespread among individuals and cell types, they have function. Although all of the individuals analyzed in the study had a large number of these RNA-DNA differences, there was a great deal of variability in the specific differences found in each person's genetic material, likely contributes to differences in disease susceptibility. Scientists have generally searched for DNA sequence differences to explain why some people are more prone to certain diseases. Like, for example, with this COVID business, the Navajo are much more uh, bothered by this than us gringos, for example. Scientists have generally searched for the differences to explain prone diseases. RNA and proteins have considered levels of expression, but not sequences. Major genetic contributors remain unknown. It will be valuable to find out what's going on. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. That's what the editing is doing, is renewing. DNA repair systems, you say, what? All right. JK's foreign and domestic DNA repair. All right? So the caption says, you're lucky nobody was injured. Your base pairs are out of alignment, and that has your reading frames all messed up. Okay. Reading frames refers to those triplets I mentioned in that RNA code, those triplets. They have to start in the right place. If they don't start in the right place, you get the wrong triplets, and everything is messed up. Okay, so here's a guy needing to do the repair. It says, as many as a million individual molecular lesions or problems are repaired per cell per day. Whoa. Okay, DNA repair. Efficient repair of DNA damage is complicated in that the DNA, the genomic DNA, in other words, our total DNA, is packaged through those histone and non-histone proteins I mentioned into chromatin. That was the other protein inside the nucleus. DNA repair machinery has to overcome this physical barrier to gain access to the damaged DNA. So remember we so said we have to open up, loosen up how that DNA is wrapped around those histones so the molecules can get to it and do their work. Here is one amazing thing that happens. So here are these two protein molecules that are machines that are doing the job, and they send an electron from one of the molecules to the other along the DNA. And if that electron doesn't get there as it's supposed to, then it knows that something is wrong, and it has to be repaired. <laughs> this should absolutely blow your mind. This one? one more, that one. It's, a, it's an artist's representation of the DNA strand and the repair machinery. Okay. And the repair machinery is complex. Okay, so that's showing the business of the electron going on through. 
Okay. So there's that representation of the electron going along the chain between those two protein molecules. And it's saying, hmm, that signal didn't get through, so we need repair job. Okay, we have different kinds of repair systems for different problems. Okay, during the copying of the DNA itself, so they're supposed to be a nice, smooth a progression along the DNA making the copy. And when the wrong base, the wrong molecule, the wrong ATC or G gets put in, part of that 30 plus molecule complex is a proofreading. So built into the machinery is proofreading while it's making the DNA. And if the proofreader picks up a mistake, it says stop, halt, change it out, and then move on. Okay, so that's synthesis repair. DNA synthesis repair. So it says, okay, we got to fix what's being made right now, the new stuff. So you can say it's self-correcting. Polymerase, that's this complex machinery making the copy of the DNA. All right, we have now a different situation where in its already existing DNA, and there's something wrong there. Uh, maybe uh, some chemical exposure caused the mutation or some ultraviolet radiation, or sometimes it just spontaneously happens. I won't get into the gorier detail, but th there can be changes where the one base becomes a different base. And so this says, okay, we need to cut this base out and put the right one in. So that's the second different repair system. Then what we have is where instead of just taking out that base, that one part, the whole thing called the nucleotide, the base is just one part. So there you see in the yellow square the base, but the whole thing with the sugar below it and the phosphate group off to the bottom left, that's the whole thing is called the nucleotide. The base plus the sugar ribose and the phosphate group. So the whole nucleotide has to be taken out, not just the base. Bigger repair job, different machinery. And it says, okay, the whole thing needs to go, we'll fix it. Okay, so now the whole nucleotide gets fixed. Okay, now there's a situation where there's a break in both strat, yes. Uh, in response to, well, it, uh, you're asking about biological weapons, meaning uh, radiation or what? I'm sorry? Virus. Um, that's a whole different problem, not at this level. Let me not answer that right now. Let me answer that later. Let me, let me deal with that later, or else we'll get totally bogged down right now. Okay, because that's not a quickie answer. Okay. Hold that thought, as they say.
Okay, so um, taking out the whole um, nucleotide uh, repair. Then there's a break in both strands of the DNA, total break. So we have special machinery that comes along and repairs that double strand break so that um, ligase is a protein that ties things together. And so then there's a little bit of material lost, but it ties things back together so the chromosome can function. Okay, so there is the, the energy, for example, X-ray energy coming in, breaking both strands, and then it gets fixed. Or ultraviolet light, less violent, violent than X-ray. Okay, now you have a cell that is uh, replicating, copying itself, and in this process, double-strand breaks occur, but this is on purpose. Not, not a mistake. Okay. Loss of nucleotides. No loss of bases. Everything is fine. It all works out well. Now, as the cells reproduce, uh, make subsequent generations, the ends of the chromosomes wear down. They're like rubber baby buggy bumpers. And the, and the orange part is what wears down. It's protecting where the genetic material is, the blue part. And so you see here the orange at the end of there. This is the end, same as the orange in the chromosome. It wears down. Well, we have these special enzymes that can restore that, build it back up, make it longer. And that's called telomerase because the end of the chromosome is called telomer. Mer means segment. Tele means distant, like telephone, distant sound, television, distant sight, telegraph, distant writing. Telomer is the distant segment. Well, as the cells, again, as they replicate different generations, they wear down. So this enzyme restores the length. But this happens not in all parts of your body. It happens in the parts of our body where cell reproduction is normally very rapid and very frequent, such as in our bone marrow, making more red blood cells and white blood cells. You make millions of new red blood cells every day because they wear out. In the lining of the gut, you lose a third of the lining of your gut every day. 70 to 90% of your bowel movement is the cells from the lining of your gut. So you're flushing yourself down the toilet every day. All right. Skin cells. About 90% of house dust is your skin cells that slough off. So you're vacuuming yourself up. All right. And then we have the cells that make the sperm and the eggs. Those are multiplying like mad. So these are ones that the telomerase is active. It keeps restoring those telomeres. And the rest of our body, the telomerase is turned off. And I think that was part of the curse in Genesis 3.15 and why we age and why cells die and Organs become less effective and eventually things fall apart totally.
But here's the big question. Why should there be repair systems if evolution occurred? Because after all, mutations are supposed to be the engine of evolution. Right? That's supposed to be the engine of evolution is mutations. So why do we have repair systems to get rid of mutations? And how do the repair systems evolve? See, simple questions. You ask somebody, why are there repair systems and how would they evolve if mutations are supposed to be the engine of revolution? Uh, evolution, sorry. Okay. This Sunday, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. All right. Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness, all kinds of disease among the people. Well, this is necessary because of the fall. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So nobody has an excuse no matter where they are in the world, because from nature they can see that there has to be creator responsible for the creation. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were, were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. The word futile is an interesting word. It means cannot hold water. Leaky bucket doesn't matter how often you carry that bucket back and forth, the water doesn't get there. Professing to be wise, they became fools. I really especially like this because I am a professor at Arizona Christian University. And I don't profess to be wise, but I profess God's truth. But these folks who profess evolution consider themselves to be very wise who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Okay, you survived. <laughs> You're still here to live and breathe and talk about it. So I hope you got enough out of this that you can talk about it with other folks. And as I said, uh, we'll give these PowerPoints here, and then you guys can distribute them and review. Listening friend, do you know where you'll go after you die? Without the gift of Jesus, it will be an eternity in hell without God. Good works will not get you there. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. To spend eternity with God, we must recognize that we are sinners in need of Christ. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. To be assured eternal life, we simply talk to God, admit you are a sinner, and ask him for his free gift. You must mean the words to, get the, to be answered. Jesus is waiting to hear your request. If you have asked him for eternal life, he has come into you and he will change you. Start reading the book of Ephesians and see what God says about your new life. After you understand the book of Ephesians, you can start reading the Gospel of John. Next, find a good Bible teaching church. Tell the pastor about your decision for God and be taught. If you contact us, we will send you a new believer booklet free of charge. Congratulations and grow in Christ. 
You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by snail mail at P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431. We are happy to help with your new life in Christ or even answering Bible questions. Again, congratulations on your decision for Christ.